Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. All right. Welcome to IC Made On. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Yeah, awesome. Well, it's good to be here with you. If you're a guest with us, that was our lead pastor, Pastor Chris. Um, him and his family are away right now. They're back home in the States uh, visiting some churches and, and, and getting to visit with their family. So we're glad that they get to be able to do that, and they will be back with us soon. Um, but he wanted to remind you this morning about the 21 days of prayer that is starting today. We're really excited about this at the, as a church. And just like he said, this is a time for us to focus our prayers as a church on our, on our city, our church, and our families. It's so important to us at Icy Maidan. So during the week, we're going to have prayer nights here every uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night during the 21 days from 7 to 8 p.m. So we just encourage you guys to come and be a part of that with us. It's going to be a good time. Uh, but today, I'm really excited because we have a guest speaker with us. He is our friend from IES Jakarta, which is an international church there in Jakarta. He's one of the pastors there on staff. And Pastor Oyan has been a longtime friends, him and his wife, with Chris and Carrie Duncan, our pastors. They've known each other even before uh, we planted this church. So we're just so excited and honored that they would come all the way from Jakarta to be with us. So if you guys don't mind, would you give uh, a very warm welcome to our guest, Pastor Oyan. Thank you, Pastor Adam. Is this noon already? Oh yeah, so good afternoon, I see Medan. It's so great to be here. Um, my name is Oyan Simatupang, and uh, I am a Batak, as you can tell by the last name. Uh, but let me clear a misinformation that was uh, given to you in the past couple of weeks. I, I'm actually not a local boy. Uh, it's a misconception, I think, that pa your pastor, Pastor Chris, uh, got because, you know, sometimes when a Batak is uh, not in this area, and when uh, they ask you, have you been Pulang Kampung? And Pulang Kampung is Medan, right? And that's the, like colloquially known. And so I think he got that and he thought I was a local boy. I was actually born in Bandung, raised in Jakarta. Uh, the last time we were here was five years ago, and we still landed in Polonia Airport. And so we were amazed when we landed in Kuala Namu because it's so much better than our Terminal 3. Much better. Oh, man. Uh, but I am a Medan boy in spirit and in belly because I love Medan food. Uh, we, we met... Uh, I love, I see Medan's hospitality. You guys just bleeds and sweats hospitality. So thank you for that. Uh, the first time we met with uh, Pastor Adam, uh, he immediately asked if we would like to have lunch. I'm like, sure. Uh, so we met him at the lobby of our hotel. It's like, hey, you know, you want to go to an Italian place? I'm like, no, we want Medan food, man. Okay, so he did. And he actually, I, 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 I assure you that he's certified Medan person because, you know, I, I was there, he was sitting, uh, you know, he was driving his van, and I was there next to him pushing the invisible brake, <laughs> scared of his driving. And I'm from Jakarta, and Jakarta's pretty crazy, right? So there you go, Pastor Adam is a local, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with my wife, Arlene, and uh, she's not on staff at IES, but we are both ordained with guest JA, and we minister together. I love, um, you know, that we are a team. We minister uh, with couples, uh, premarital, marital, 
Um, and, and personally, if you ask me, uh, I didn't share this in the other services, uh, the most rewarding um, uh, thing for us as ministers is to minister to couples, to just journey with them and, and you know, help them to get a sense of the beauty of relationship, the beauty of being in a relationship that follows God. And we met at church, and so let me just tell you that church is a great place to meet your future spouse. Right? And I know there's a lot of singles here in the 11.30 and the 10 o'clock, so hit, hit, all right? Yeah, next time I come here, I want to hear more datings that is, comes to fruition and, you know, forming new families and things like that, right? Pastor Adam, Pastor Gary? <laughs> you guys too. <laughs> amen? Can we give him amen? Amen. Right. Um, you guys are launching your 21 days of prayer, and I think that's a great tradition uh, to have as a church. Tradition is not, not all bad. Tradition is something good because tradition is actually something that you pass down to the future generation. That, that's what uh, Pastor Chris is doing when they uh, pray 21 days uh, for 21 days and fasted before even the church started, and they continue to do that and invite you to um, join um, them and, and you know, the rest of the pastoral staff in that momentum because that's how a church grows. That's how a church becomes like what you are. I mean, dream team. What an amazing concept. Uh, I told my wife, we have a lot to learn from IC Medan. Believe me. Yes, we do have a lot to learn from you guys. And so just keep doing what you are doing. Uh, one of the best compliments uh, that a pastor can get is that when the congregation is known for being hungry for the Word of God. And that is what Pastor Chris told me. Uh, you know, I've never been here, and he's told me, please tell me a little bit about IC Medan. They are hungry for the Word. Like, wow, I want to hear that, you know, you know, in a church that I'm working at. Because that is the best compliment you guys can give to him. When he leads you to the presence of God and you keep hungering for the Word of God, you keep thirsting, and that's where life is found. And so, you know, of course, commend him, uh, compliment him on his good looks, his uh, great preaching and all that kind of stuff. That's great, right? Yeah, of course. But, you know, continue to give him that silent compliment always being hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm so privileged to be sharing the Word of God this uh, afternoon. And uh, we're going to be talking about, because you guys are starting your 21 days of prayer, I think it's appropriate to just kind of also talk about prayer. Uh, spiritual formation is one of the biggest interests for me in my ministry. And prayer is something that always has a special place in uh, our ministry together. And so we want to talk about a uh, the topic of prayer, to be specific, just a little portion of a prayer, the prayer, if you will, the prayer that the Lord Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray, taught us to pray. Um, you and I know that as followers of the living Lord, the Lord Jesus calls us to stand firm when we are facing temptation, to stand our ground, to be on guard when we are facing temptation. We face temptation all the time. I face temptation all the time. But the good news is, especially when we feel overwhelmed by temptation, we are not left alone. God does not leave us alone. He's there with us to help us to stand firm, not on our own effort, but through the power of His Holy Spirit. We're not left alone to be on guard because God is with us all along. He's always there, and we are not all alone. The Apostle Paul testifies about this by telling us, first he, he tells the church in the, the city of Corinth. He said in his first letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. Can you say God is faithful? God is faithful. 
God is faithful. Can you, can, can you say that again? God is faithful. Yes. We're going, uh, God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Praise God. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There is a way out. And so as we begin your 21 days of prayer, we're going to find out that in His faithfulness, the Father provides a way out for you all and myself to endure. And we're going to do that by looking at a section of the Lord's Prayer Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I'm going to read for you the text where this prayer is found. It is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 5 to 15. And in reading God's Word, if you're able, will you stand as we hear God's Word, as I read for you God's Word for us this morning? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Just Let me just pause there a second. Isn't it amazing? The Father knows what we need before we ask Him. That's an amazing promise. And then Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray together. Father, in your mercy and grace, may we come and approach this written word of yours to become the living word himself as we encounter him in a real way. And so as we grapple about what your son told us, to ask, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Allow his presence to be encountered by us like never before. And allow his presence to change us so that we can indeed resist temptation. And like him, come out victoriously in our lives. And we will be more faithful in our walk with you. And we will love you even more dearly because you have loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Please take your seats again. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what Jesus says. Jesus didn't say just from evil, but he says from the evil one. Why? Because Jesus is being very specific on who this evil is. The evil one. And this evil one is the angel who rebelled against God. The one whose mission is to dishonor the name of the Father. The one whose mission is to make us not trust in the Father and His goodness. And the one whose mission is to divide us from the Father. And as an implication of that, to divide us from one another. That's who this evil one is. Now, this part of the Lord's Prayer is the most critical request for us to pray. But having said that, it is also the most difficult and most confusing part of the prayer. Now, here's what I think where it gets confusing, and I think you'll agree with me. Why is Jesus 
telling us to ask God not to do what God never does anyway, right? I mean, let me ask you a question. Would God, the God that we meet in Jesus Christ, would ever intentionally lead us into temptation? Would He ever intentionally lead us into temptation? No, that's right, no. And so why bother then praying, lead us not into temptation? Now, I think we can get into the gist of this by looking at a language lesson. A language lesson can help us. The word translated temptation in the English Bible is this word perasmos. And this word perasmos has two different meanings, something that is not uncommon even in in the English language, in Bahasa Indonesia, in any kind of language, a word can always have more than one meaning. In the English language, for example, we find the word light. Right? The word light can mean the light, the, this thing that is shining on me to make me visible to you. Otherwise, I will not be visible to you. Or light can also mean what? Not heavy. Right? The word bear, for example. The word bear can mean a furry animal. A furry animal that we think it's cute, but it's actually very dangerous, right? It is cute. It looks cute, especially when babies are holding teddy bears. But in real life, it's dangerous. But it can also mean what? To carry, right? To carry. Like in a sentence, the cross that we bear. And a person who is at least somewhat familiar with English will know that when I say the cross that I bear, it doesn't mean a furry animal, right? It doesn't mean that cute little... No, cute big animal that we think it's cute, but it's actually dangerous and not. Parasmos also has two meanings. It can mean test, and it can also mean temptation. And they are very different. These two are very different things. A test is a procedure intended to establish the quality, the performance, or the reliability of something or of someone. It is meant to prove a person's capability, to prove a person's character. And in the process of that is also purpose to improve the person's capability and character. A temptation, on the other hand, is meant to lure a person, right? to lure a person to do something, especially something that is wrong or foolish. A temptation entices a person to sin, and it is meant to bring down a person in some way. And so parasmos is a difficult or challenging situation in our life where it can either become a test, mean to prove or improve our character, our capability, or it can also be a temptation enticing us to sin. Starting to make sense? Right. Okay. Now, how do we tell the difference? That's the one million dollar question, right? How do we tell the difference whether it is a test or a temptation. And to know the difference, whether it is a test or a temptation, is to see who is behind it. Who is behind this parasmos? And how do we respond to this parasmos? Now, the Bible, I'm glad that the Bible is very clear. Scripture tells us that God does not tempt. James 1, verse 13, the brother of Jesus, he says, when tempted, no one should say what? God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. So we can be absolutely, absolutely sure that God is not behind 
out of temptation. But here's the thing. God does test. Say to your neighbor, God does test. Yes. Look at Abraham. Look at Job. These are two perfect examples of two people in the Bible that are tested and tested to the max, right? I mean, sacrifice your son <laughs> or lose everything, right? And then having the wife to say, curse God. <laughs> that's temptation. I mean, that's testing me to the max. And so we know that the word has two meanings. And we also know that God doesn't tempt anyone, but God does test everyone. And here is the difficulties in understanding this request. I think there are at least two difficulties in trying to understand this request. And the first one is this. Why pray, lead us not into temptation? Why pray this prayer? And what's the point of asking God not to do what God will never do anyway? We know that God doesn't tempt. So what's the point of asking God not to do what God will never do anyway? It seems like a waste of our time, right? That's the first difficulty. And then the second difficulty is this. If God does test, and we know that God tests, what good will it do translating the prayer, the word parasmos, into our English as lead us not into the test, right? It'll be silly. What's the point of asking God not to do what God needs to do anyway? This is also like wasting our time. So two difficulties. And how do we resolve these difficulties? I think we resolve them by paying attention to the request as a whole. We need to, to see the request, not just portion of it, but as a whole. The full request is not just lead us not into temptation. The full request is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it is very important for us to get the whole petition. Why? Because the second part gives meaning to the first part. But deliver us from the evil one gives meaning to lead us not into temptation. It interprets lead us not into temptation. And what is the meaning? What is the interpretation? It is this. The evil one is always, always trying to turn test into temptations. Oh, makes sense now, right? Can I begin to preach now? All right, I was just warming up. I'm going to make you miss lunch. <laughs> it's the spiritual food that is important, right? <laughs> Jesus here is showing us one of the most fundamental truths in life, and that is this. His enemy, the devil, always turns test into temptations. Oh, can I preach now? The events or experiences of our lives which God intends to prove and improve our character and increase our faith by parasmos test, the devil comes in, sneaks in, and very subtly turns it into parasmos temptation. Can I begin preach now? And his intention is none other but to destroy our character and ruin our faith. That's why he's the devil. Jesus said he has come that we may have life, right? And have life not just minimal, not just mediocre, but what? Life to the 
full. Right, John 10 verse 10. But his enemy, the one he calls the thief, he comes to what? Still steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. And it happens in a very subtle way. Very, very subtle. But also very unrelenting. It happens all the time. What God means as a test, his enemy seeks to turn it into a temptation. And so then how are we to understand this petition, this request? What is it that Jesus is really teaching us to pray? This is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. What is he teaching us? I think the answer is this. Jesus, if you were to extend the sentence, Jesus is praying us to pray like this. Father, when you lead us into a test, do not let the test become a temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ooh, right? Can I start preaching now? All right. Father, you know that we are weak. You know that we cannot stand up under a lot of pressure. So as you lead us to the test, Father, and we know that and we understand that all life is a test, and you seek to prove and improve our faith and character in you, do not let the test become a temptation. Do not let it become a seduction to sin, but deliver us. Deliver us from the subtle tricks of the enemy, the father of lies against whom we are no match. Father, rescue us from this evil one. That is how we should understand that petition. All right, let's go into it a bit deeper. I told you I just start preaching, right? If you're like me, you might ask God, and I do this, right? pastor or not, I ask God, God, why do you have to test me? Why do you test people? I know that you don't tempt anyone, anyone but why do you have to test me? Nobody likes tests, right? Anybody likes tests here? No, right. The answer is this. God tests for one reason. The life that He promises us. The fullness of life that God promises us. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the full. Life with all capital letters, L-I-F-E. And this kind of life is only found can, and, and can only be found, guess how? In trusting God and God alone. Can I start preaching now? Yes. So the quality of our life, all capital letters, is then only related to the quality of our trust, right? our trust in God. And so to make sure that our trust is in God and in God alone, God puts us to the test. God puts us in a situation where we may fall, right? underline may fall, but actually we're not meant to fall at all. A situation which can possibly destroy us, possibly destroy us. But it is intended to be a situation where we are to come out stronger, victorious, and enriched. Now, I think this will help give it more sense. The word parasmos is also used in the process of refining gold. Make sense? Beginning to? A goldsmith would take a piece of gold ore and put it into the fire, right? To burn it in, in high heat. Why? So that he can both reveal and refine that gold ore. To reveal that it is really gold, not the fake stuff, and to refine it into pure gold, getting rid of all the impurities. 
And God does the same thing with us. God puts us to the test to reveal and to refine, to reveal whether we are trusting in God or not, and to refine our trust in Him so that our trust will be in Him and in Him alone. And we know this. We know that we will be put into the fire. Like that old song, Refiner's Fire. Anybody know that song? It's an old Hillsong song, right? It makes me feel old. I actually do not want to con- uh, reveal my, how old I am because I'm, I'm here, babe, catch my reading glasses. <laughs> and, and, and see how big I put my letters are. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Refiner's Fire. My heart wants, want, my heart's one desire is to be holy, right? Set apart for you, Lord. And so as a man, God puts me to the test to reveal and to refine, to reveal that I'm actually trusting in God and to refine my trust only in Him. Why? So that God can make me a better man. Praise God. As a husband, God puts me to the test to reveal and to refine, to reveal whether I'm trusting in God and to refine so that my trust will be in God and God alone. Why? So that I can become a better husband. As a father, God puts me to the test to reveal and to refine, to reveal whether I'm trusting God or not and to refine my trust in Him and His intention is for me to become a better father. As a pastor or whatever your vocation is, God puts us to the test to reveal and to refine, to reveal whether we are trusting in God or not, and to refine our trust in Him. And at the end, God wants for me is to become a better pastor. But see, friends, the situation intended by our good Father for good, the enemy comes in to turn it into bad. He seeks to turn the Father's parasmos from a test into a temptation. Can I get a witness that the devil does that? Yes. How? How does the evil one attempt this? And why? Right? Why does the evil one would even bother? Because he doesn't like God. <laughs> he doesn't like Jesus. And that's a clearly an understatement because he hates God and he hates Jesus. And he can't get at God and he can't get at Jesus, so he tries to get at us because we are nearest to God's heart. If you don't get anything today, get this. You all are nearest to God's heart. Praise God, right? Praise God. And he does not want anyone to like Jesus and his Father. He doesn't want anyone to trust Jesus and his Father. And so what does he do? He tries to get us to doubt. (laughs) Can I preach now? To doubt the goodness of God. That is his main mission. Can I preach now? Come on. To doubt the, mission, the, the, the goodness of God is the main mission of the evil one. Oh, yes. He's got many other missions as well, like seeking to cause violence, seeking to seek, cause hostility. Uh, the last election for the city must have been hard for you guys, right? There's a lot of animosity and hostility. The devil is behind that. The devil seeks to cause addiction. He seeks to create all kinds of chaos. But his one major goal is to get us what? To doubt the goodness of the Father. To to doubt the faithfulness of the Father. 
And once he's done that, the rest is easy. It starts with doubt. Now, we can see this in two major testing made into temptation stories in the Bible. Right? We see this test made into temptation stories in the Bible all the time. But there are two at least. They're very, very clear to us. In Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve faced the subtlety between test and temptation, and they failed. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 4, where Jesus also faced the subtlety between test and temptation, but rather than failing like the first Adam, he then becomes our new Adam, the second Adam, because he came out victoriously. That's why we can also come out of our temptation that we face victoriously. Praise God. Now, in both stories, we can see that there are five strategies that Satan uses to turn a test into a temptation. And knowing these five strategies, I believe, will help us to stand firm, to remain strong, and to be on guard in times of testing. Can I begin to preach now? Five strategies. The first one, he begins by raising our suspicion. Oh, right? Suspicion is where to start. Satan begins by raising suspicion that God is not completely inclined towards our good. In, in the Genesis story, he does this by misquoting God's word, conveniently leaving out keywords of God's command. In the garden, Satan, in the form of a snake, comes to Eve, and the snake says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, is that what God really said? No, right? God said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Free to eat. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see what Satan has done? He has turned God's positive into a negative. God said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. The evil one says, you must not eat from any tree. And he left out one big word, one big word, the word free. Freely eat. We may freely eat. And the meaning of that is that we are never lacking. We always have enough. God will always provide for us freely. Amen. But then when Eve quotes God's word back to Satan, she then already becomes quite suspicious of God, right? This suspicion has taken over. She said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but leaves out freely. And she says, we're not to eat or touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And says that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the middle of the garden. No, ma'am, it's not. The tree of life is in the middle of the garden, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But she puts it in the middle. middle. She moves the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to the middle of the garden. And what's the implication of that? The implication is this. She's becoming suspicious. She's becoming suspicious that God is holding back something that she needs, that Adam needs, in order to be fully human. She begins to suspect that God doesn't have, that she doesn't have enough. That she doesn't have enough of what she needs. So the first strategy is raising our suspicion. The second strategy is this. The evil one tries to make us focus on the negative, to get us to focus on the negative circumstances of our lives. In the story in Matthew chapter 4, in the desert, 
the evil one comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see, the devil really made an effort to point out that the only thing Jesus sees around him are stones. Stones, just stones, Jesus, all around you, front, back, left, right, stones, 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 no trees, no bushes, no water. The air is hot. The temperature is really, really hot, and stones all around you. Have you ever heard of something like that in your head? I bet you have. I hear it all the time. We all have. You know, it's been said that Satan is the original negative thinker, <laughs> right? Satan is the original negative thinker. How many of you know a negative thinker? <laughs> but just don't tell them you are the devil, right? Because they're not. <laughs> because we are also struggling with negative thinking, right? It comes from the devil. The second strategy is to make us focus on the negative. Third strategy, luring us to make conclusions from that negative. Satan seeks to help us, to help us make conclusions, conclusions from the negative circumstances of our lives. But they're false conclusions. Again, in the desert, he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are. You see, Satan is not questioning the fact. He's not trying to get Jesus to question the fact either. That would not work. Jesus is firm in his identity as the Son of God. The evil one is simply raising a question about the quality of Jesus' sonship. The quality of Jesus' relationship with his Father. <laughs> so you're the Son, Jesus. <laughs> the beloved Son. That's how the voice puts it in your baptism. I don't mean to be disrespectful, Jesus, but these are pretty crappy, really crappy circumstances that you're facing, especially for the Son of God. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me that if you are the Son of God, if the Father loves you as He said at your baptism, He would not let this happen to you. You know what it seems to me, Jesus? It seems to me that you have been abandoned. The father that says he loves you has abandoned you. Have you heard something like that in your head before? Oh, I have many times. We all have. Satan first getting us to focus on the negative aspects of our broken circumstances. Then he wants us to conclude that we are in this difficult place because the father doesn't love us, doesn't care about us. Why would a child of God ever be in this desert kind of place? I'm in ministry. I'm serving the Lord. I'm following Jesus. Why am I in this desert place? The Father must have let me down. The Father doesn't love me, right? But that is far, far from the truth, my friend. Why? Because when we are in a place where we don't have anything, we are actually left with God alone. Oh, can I get a witness? Yes, let me say that again because I want more witnesses. In a place where we don't have anything, we are actually left with God alone. Can I get a witness? Yes. yes. And that is actually a good place, a great place to be. And then strategy four, get us to force God's hand. <laughs> the Father doesn't seem to be doing anything about your circumstances, Jesus. 
So why not throw his words at him? Why not throw his words at him, Jesus? Stand on the pinnacle of the temple and throw yourself off the edge. Here, Jesus, here's God's word. And then the devil quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12. God's word, Jesus. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's, that's God's word, Jesus. That's the word of God. But in reality, something's wrong with your situation here. To me, the father seems so passive. He's so inactive. He's so silent. So do this, Jesus. Say to your father who claims to love you, you said you will command angels to keep me from hurting myself. So here I go. I'm going to jump and give you an opportunity to prove your love for me. If you love me, you will prove it to me and you will catch me. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? Yes, of course, we all have. The devil is always suggesting to us ways we can try to get God to prove his love for us. But guess what? It never works. It never works. Why? Because for one thing, God will not play this game. And for another, if God did it, it will not satisfy us. Because it would not really prove his love at all. It would only prove that God is not God. Because God, if God does that, it means that God can be manipulated. And anything that can be manipulated by us is not God. It is a false God. So since God does not play that game, the last strategy, strategy number five, the devil tempts us to take things into our own hands. So... The evil one seeks to get us to take our lives into our own hands. He makes us think that God is not in control. So then we say, I need to be in control. I need to be in control of my situation, and I need to be in control by any means possible. Look, Jesus, I'm only here to help you. Since God has abandoned you out here, and I'm really sorry for that, and since God does not seem to be lifting a finger to help you, and I'm sorry for that too, you simply need to take things into your own hands. See all the kingdoms of the world. See all the glory. They're supposed to be given to you. Psalm, Psalm 2 says that. It's the word of God. It says the nation of the world will be given to the beloved son. Well, I have an offer for you, Jesus. And it's, the offer is this. Fall down and worship me. And they're all yours. All yours, Jesus. I will give them all to you. I will release my grip on them and they will be yours. You can avoid this insane, crazy plan of your father that tells you that you can win the nation by dying on the cross for the sin of humanity. You can have all the world for you all at once, Jesus. All now, right now, without all that crazy suffering. And guess what? We're in the desert. No one needs to know. It'll just be between you and me, right? It'll be our little secret. Here out in the desert where no one sees you, you just bow down, and worship me. It doesn't have to be long, and everything is yours. <laughs> and besides, Jesus, does it really matter? You are a result-oriented person, right, Jesus? Does it really matter how you get it as long as you get it? 
Does it really matter what means you use as long as you get the desired end, result-oriented, Jesus? <laughs> Have you heard anything like this in your mind before? <laughs> Plenty of times. Once the seed of suspicion have been sown and begin to grow, once we begin to dwell on the negative aspects of our life, and once we begin to deduce and conclude that something is wrong between us, us and God, and once we have tried to force God's hand and found that it doesn't work, then we are vulnerable to the subtle push that push us to take charge of our own lives and then meet our needs and desires any way we can. We become Frank Sinatra's. You know what Frank Sinatra did? He sang, I did it. That's right, my way. A very important song in a Batak party. <laughs> and it's a cue for me and my wife to leave the party when that song is being sung. <laughs> Party's over, dude. Okay, let's go. No, we do it God's way. That is a devilish song. I did it my way as a devil. And so because of that, then we end up no longer trusting God. When we take matters into our own hand, we no longer trust God and no longer experiencing, experiencing life with all capital letters. But here's the good news. God is always with us. Amen? God is always with us. You see, friends, in the account of Jesus' testing in Matthew, Matthew specifically tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He is led by the Spirit. In the face of temptation, we are actually Spirit-led. In being tested, the Spirit is actually leading Jesus. In being tested, the Spirit is also leading us. So when we are tempted, we can say, I am Spirit-led, and then overcome that temptation. The account that is given by Luke is even more specific. Luke tells us that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, not only Spirit-led, but also Spirit-filled. Full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Not only was Jesus led, but He's also filled with the Spirit. Not only we are led, we are also filled with the Spirit. Say to yourself, I am filled with the Spirit. Say to your neighbor that perhaps you don't like, you are filled with the Spirit. No, I know that you like each other. <laughs> we are filled with the Spirit. Whether we feel it or not, the reality remains the same. And so when we ask God, God, fill me once again. Fill me with your Spirit once again. It is as much as asking God to remove all the junk in our hearts, all the clutters in our heart that takes up space so that the Spirit can live in our hearts and fill it completely. Now, Jesus knows that we need to be reminded of this. We are filled. I am filled. You are filled. We are led. But there are many things that clutters our heart. And because of that, we become weak. We can't stand under much pressure. And we give in to the five strategies that Satan, the enemy, plays against us. And so on the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus once again reminds us 
Watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray, he says. And what's that prayer? Does it have to be long, elaborated? No. The prayer that he taught us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 